I've been speaking on sowing seed, a sermon series. Am I slightly hot out there? I mean, monitor, mic. I didn't mean. I seem strong. I don't know if it's coming. Turn me down just a little bit there. <laughs> Thank you. Those listening to the podcast, I meant the monitors and the speakers. I, uh, how many of you know you can listen to the messages if you're not here on podcast? Praise the Lord. You can go to newhopeakron.org, and if you'll cross over, you'll be able to, um, on there, hit the button podcast and listen to some of the messages that have been preached. So if you've missed out, I encourage you to go and listen to see what you've missed out on. Can I just say this because I want to? Good. Sowing seeds, spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ. Do you know God has convicted me to preach this message for over a year? Over a year ago, I thought, I'm going to start preaching on sowing seed. And I'm going to tell you what happens every time I start talking about winning souls for Jesus Christ. People get angry and they leave the church. So just to let you know, we've had some that have left. Now, isn't that amazing? Because here's what they said. It's not my responsibility to spread the gospel. You said weeks ago that it was my responsibility. And the reason why there's empty seats is because it's... My fault that they're empty? Well, let me ask you a question. If Jesus said, go and make disciples, who was he telling? Did he say, I didn't see my name in there. I thought he said all. That's A-L-L. That means go and make all. That's everybody. Do we all have a responsibility? Can I hear you say amen? Amen. Praise the Lord. So here's where we're at. We have to win souls for Jesus Christ. We have to make a difference. I have to tell you that every time I preach messages on when people need to come to Christ, Satan hates it. You know why? Because he owns those that are lost and bound for hell. He doesn't want people to have an intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. He wants people just to come be Friendly secret churches so we can come in and entertain you and get feel good and get goosebumps all over our bodies and out the door we go. But every time we open up the word of God, that's where God starts to do his work. If you're not convicted by the word of God, then we must look at our own life, examine our hearts. That's why we're here. And I'll tell you just the confirmation. I get to pastor's conference and they start off the conference talking about winning souls for Jesus Christ. They've never done that before. They'll have different things, but they brought up sowing seed. They brought spreading the gospel. It was amazing to me. If you look around, we are here as a body of believers to edify one another, to encourage one another, and to continue to keep moving forward as Christian believers to win people for Christ. The last thing, I'm going to tell you this. We can stand at a funeral and we can weep, literally weep over our loved ones and say, I don't know if I'll ever see them again. But why don't we tell them? We're so afraid. And I'm not going to go back to last week's message on fear, but we're afraid to let people know about Jesus Christ. Sure, I preach messages on feel good, motivate, all that kind of great stuff. But these aren't messages about that because they're not about us, they're about Him. So we must continue to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ, understand what our role is, and understand how to present the gospel. Which poses a question 
that was brought up to me several weeks ago that I always try to, if, if somebody walks up to me and asks me a question, I, I really try to incorporate it within one of my messages. So if there's ever anything that you have a question on and you make a comment about, I try to include it in my message. Today, the message is being rooted. We've talked about soil. We've talked about seed. We've talked about dropping seed and then being faithful to spread the seed and see God do his work. Amen. So now here we're at a part as I was thinking and preparing on these. I'm really trying to build up to the tree. So we need a good root system. In Jeremiah chapter 17, if you'll turn there with me, I just want to start off because I love this part of Scripture. And I want to start off today's message in Jeremiah chapter 17, verses 7 and 8. And we can, let's all stand today in honor of His Word. Let's all stand if you have your Bible. In honor of His Word and the blessedness of trusting the Lord. I'm going to be reading out of the King James Version, and you can follow along with whatever version you have. Blessed is the man that trusteth in the Lord, and whose hope is in the Lord. For he shall be as a tree planted by the waters, and that spreadeth out her roots by the river, and shall not see when he cometh, but her leaf shall be green, and shall not be careful in the year of drought, neither shall cease from Yielding fruit. Back to verse 7. Blessed is the man that trusteth in the Lord and whose hope the Lord is. Or whose hope is in the Lord. Father, today we thank you for your word. We pray that you'll just bless it. Lord Jesus, as we trust in you. And as we realize. Father, just what a sinner. That we are and what a sinner I am. Father, help me today to focus with clarity to be able to speak with clarity. Lord, that we understand that being saved and leading people to Christ is one of the, the greatest parts of our Christian life. But Lord, that works doesn't get us to heaven. By being good doesn't get us to heaven. But it's by your grace because of the price that you paid upon Calvary. Father, thank you for your word today. Let a special anointing fall. Father, we thank you for those that are here with us. Uh, Friends, family, visitors, Lord, we just we welcome them and we thank you that, Lord, we can just stop today, this Sunday. And open up your word in honor of who you are, Lord, bless it in your name, we pray. Amen. You may be seated now, if you'll take your Bible and turn with me over to Luke, chapter 16, Matthew, Mark, Luke, Luke, chapter 16. As you turn there, a Sunday school teacher had spent a great deal of teaching her young class about the fact that doing good works could not buy them a place in heaven. To drive home her point, she asked her class, if I sold my house and my car, had a big garage sale and gave all my money to the church, would I get into heaven? No, all of the children answered. If I cleaned the church every day, mowed the yard and kept everything neat and tidy, would I get into heaven? Again, the children answered, no. Well, she continued, then how can I get into heaven? In the back of the room, a five-year-old boy shouted out, you gotta be dead! <laughs> that is a true story from a young woman by the name of Tina Miller. In this morning's sermon, we're talking about two people who died. One man who went to hell and one man who went to paradise or Abraham's bosom. 
One preacher I read said he could only find one time that Jesus ever spoke about heaven. And you heard me quoted in John chapter 14, verse 2, where it says, In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you I go to prepare a place for you. So Jesus was saying there as he was referencing heaven. But by contrast, the same preacher counted out at least 11 times Jesus spoke about hell. Now, if it were me, I think that teaching about heaven would be more important. After all, why wouldn't my audience want to hear or the church family hear about what awaited them in heaven and what heaven would be like? But Jesus apparently believed we needed to know more about hell than even heaven. Isn't that amazing? Isn't it, how many of you have seen uh, the story about uh, heaven is for real with a little boy? Isn't that awesome? What a beautiful picture of heaven and what God allowed for him. Here in Luke 16, we have Jesus telling us the parable of the rich man and of Lazarus. It's the only parable Jesus ever told about the afterlife. He was explaining to his disciples what life would be like after we die. And once again, there seems to be a heavy emphasis on hell. So let's read together Luke chapter 16, verses 19 through 31. There was a certain rich man which was clothed in purple and fine linen. Back then, that meant they lived in luxury. Only certain people could actually afford fine linen like that and fared sumptuously every day. And there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, which was laid at his gate full of sores. And desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table, moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. And it came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by the angels into where? Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. And in hell, now I want you to notice that in this text, in the Greek, the word actually means in Sheol or Hades, we're not talking about Gehenna, which actually means the grave or a place that would be, you know, Right at death, not Gehenna is actually the place, the lake of fire. And so in here, here it says in hell, he lifted up his eyes, being in torment and seeth Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. Isn't it amazing as we stop there and we realize here hell was a place of torment, a place of thirst, agony, of fire, and a place of no hope or no escape. So we continue to read in verse 25. But Abraham's son said, son, remember that thou in thy lifetime receivest thy good things and likewise Lazarus evil things. But now he is comforted and thou art tormented which means he was in agony. And beside all this, between us and you, there is a great gulf fit, so that they which would pass from hence to you cannot neither can they pass to us that would come from thence. Then he said, I pray thee therefore, Father, that thou would send him to my father's house. For I have five brethren that he may testify unto them, lest they also come into this place of torment. Isn't that awesome? Do we have to get to hell to finally say, go tell my loved ones about Jesus Christ? Isn't that awful? I mean, what, what a profound truth from God. Just go tell my brothers. Go tell my loved ones. I understand my wife's love and conviction for you women. I don't know what I'd do without my wife. We are one in marriage, in life, in this ministry, in, in everything we do. We try to achieve oneness every day in our marriage. Because if we didn't, we wouldn't be together. 
And I love that she has that same burning desire and love and compassion and conviction for all of you. That means a lot to me, and I just want you to know that it, it really resonates with me. And then I think of this story because he says, just please testify to them. Let them know. Let them know about my loved ones. They need to come to Jesus Christ. Then he said, I pray thee, therefore, Father, that thou would send him to my father's house. Oh, verse 29. Abraham said unto him, they have Moses and the prophets. prophets. Let him hear them. And he said, nay, Father Abraham, but if one went unto them from the dead, they will repent. And he said unto him, if they hear not Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rose from the dead. I love this part of Scripture because as I was looking into it last night, it actually kind of moved me because I thought here they believed in Moses, right? And the law of Moses. But yet here's Jesus speaking, said they didn't even hear Moses and he prophesied. Will they believe me? If people don't see your life, will they believe you? Do they know that you have Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior in your life? And so he was saying, I'm Jesus. Well, they believe because they only believe the prophetic law that was set forth by Moses. So we move forward. Mark 9.48 describes it. Hell. Hell. It is a place where the worm dies not and the fire is not quenched. It's a real place. As I was preparing for this message... Sermon, a question came to my mind. Listen closely. Why did Jesus tell this parable? What was its significance? And why do I even care about this parable? Jesus' answer to that question was basically this. You better care. You better care because you and I are going to spend an eternity in one place or the other. You and I are either going to spend eternity in heaven or you're going to spend eternity in hell. And Jesus is telling us hell is real and you don't want to go there. Now, that leads up to the hard part of the sermon for me. As I was examining this text, I was struck by something that made me uncomfortable. Something I've never spoke about ever from this pulpit. I've quoted, but never spoke. There was a teaching here that seemed to contradict everything I'd ever believed about the coming judgment and the afterlife. Some of your questions have brought to mind this message. Brother Phil, you'll appreciate this. To introduce you to this conflict I had and you have had, I'm going to give you a, qu- a quiz, a very quick quiz. Why did the rich man go to hell? The parable here basically implies the rich man went to hell because he didn't help Lazarus. The man with sores. Did you see that in that in that text? Question two. Do you remember why Jesus sent the goats? Those on his left. Away into eternal punishment. And I'll I'll reference that here shortly. And then the sheep on his right. Matthew 25, 31 says here it was judgment. Goats are the lost and the sheep are the saved. We talked about what? Seed. We've talked about the wheats and the tares. We've talked about a good harvest, a bad harvest, wheat and weeds, right? 
So now Jesus gave the parable and he says, I separated the goats from the sheep, the righteous and the unrighteous. Then the son of man will say to those on his left side, as he was giving this story, depart from me, you who are cursed into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Turn with me, if you would, please. Matthew 25, 41 through 45. Matthew 25, 41 through 45. I'm going to have you turning quite a bit today only because if you cannot understand Ephesians 2, 8, 9, and if you cannot understand the parable of the goats and the sheep and what you've been taught, then you can no longer be able to lead somebody to Christ for those who say, my faith and my religion is all based on works. And it's not. So we continue to read in Matthew chapter 25, verses 41 through 45. Then shall he say also unto them on the left hand, Depart from me, ye cursed, into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungered, and ye gave me no meat. I was thirsty, and ye gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and ye took me in, naked, and ye clothed me not, sick and in prison, and ye visited me not. Then shall they also answer him, saying, Lord, when saw we thee and hungered, or a thirst, or a stranger, or naked, or sick, or in prison, and did not minister unto thee? Then shall he answer them, saying, Verily I say unto you, inasmuch as ye did it not to one of the least of these, ye did it not to me. And these shall go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into life eternal. So the rich man goes to hell because he didn't help Lazarus and probably others like him. And I'll tie this all together. And the goats go to hell because they didn't help others who were like Lazarus. Isn't that what it says? They were hungry and you didn't help them. They were stripped of their clothing and you didn't help them. That doesn't make any sense. So which is it? Since when I die, either go to heaven or hell, you're going to have to follow me here today. And Jesus teaches me that I can go to hell because I didn't do good things. Why does the Bible teach that I can't be saved by good works? Well, it teaches that because both things are true. One, I cannot be saved by my good works. It doesn't matter how much good I do. I can't force my way into heaven by my own self-righteousness. I can't accumulate, accumulate so many brownie points on earth that I can approach the pearly gates, tip my hat to God, and walk in without as much as an excuse me, sir, because I deserve heaven. I've worked for it, and I've earned it. You see, I bought heaven. It's mine, and no one can, die, can deny me of it. I'm sorry, but that defies all Scripture and all common sense. Two, But I can go to hell if I don't do good works. That's what the story of Lazarus and the rich man and the story of the sheep and the goats is all about. Did you see that there? Yes, Pastor, I think I saw that. So now, Pastor, where are you headed with this? Where are you going with this? Well, it kind of works like this. I'm going to give you an illustration. How many of you have been to a funeral in your life? I can probably say that we've all been there, right? Now watch. As you approach the casket, you'll see numerous floral arrangements. And these floral displays use two different kinds of flowers. One, first, there are the bouquets of cut flowers, which you walk in. And have you ever just said, 
oh, the place smells like a funeral home. You walk into a florist and sometimes you feel that way because you can smell the cut flowers in there. Two, and then there are planters. There's generally more bouquets than planters because the floors can create a more impressive splash of color with those arrangement of cut flowers than they can with a planter. However, both of these floral arrangements, the bouquets and the planters, have beautiful flowers and both mean a lot to the family of the deceased. But now, wait about six weeks. What happens to the cut flowers after that period of time? They die. What about the planters? They live. You're exactly right. Why did the cut flowers die? They died because, unlike the planted flowers, they didn't have any roots. Both set of flowers had pretty fruits. The flowers. But the cut flowers died because they had no root system at all. It was the root that gave the plant its life, not the fruit. But both sets of flowers were on display at the funeral because of their fruit. Because of the beauty that was there. And isn't it amazing how flowers and colors just bring such a, a sense of comfort? That's why the mourners purchased them. They wanted the flowers to be on display. And that's what gives the gift its value. You'll never go to a funeral and see a bunch of stems sticking out of a planter with no flowers on them. I thought, man, what that must be like just to have a bunch of branches sticking in there and say, here, I just thought I'd give you something that's dead. That wouldn't go over too well, now would it? <laughs> I don't think so. But what we realize, the root gives the flower its life, but the fruit, the pretty flowers, give the flower its usefulness in that setting. Now I want you to turn with me to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. This is a, this is a verse that we, we often reference in Scripture. As we're going through the salvation experience, and it says this, For by grace are you saved through faith, and not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Verse 9, Not of works, lest any man should boast. Verse 10 says, For we are his workmanship, for we are his creation, created in Christ Jesus, unto, for, to do good works, which God hath before ordained or prepared that we should walk in them. So, if you'll notice again, back to the verses 8 9, for it is by grace that you've been saved through faith. It is not from yourselves it is the gift of God, not by works should any man boast. But then in verse 10, when it says we are created or we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto or to do what? To do what? Good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Why does verse 10 say that we were saved or that we were created in Christ Jesus unto or for? It actually means we're to do good works knowing who Christ Jesus is. Are we together now? But the previous verse tells us we're not saved by those good works. 
And I love this. You can write it in the back of your Bible. You can write it in the front of your Bible. But I'm going to emphasize this. So we're not saved by good works. And you can maybe highlight that in your Bible. We're not saved by good works, but we are saved to do good works. We're not saved by good works, as we see in the content here, our context here, but we are saved to do good works. You and I were not saved just so we could sit around and twiddle our thumbs all day. We're not saved to sit in a padded seat and go through religious service every week and smile at the preacher. Not that I have anything against any of you smiling or giving me a wave. We were saved to get up off of our backsides and do something for Jesus Christ. As I referenced last week, let me tie these verses in this week. It's found, if you will please, turn with James chapter 2. James chapter 2. Bible class 101. And we're going to read in verses 14 through 29. Here's faith that works. What does it profit? We're in verse 14, James chapter 2, verses 14. What does it profit, my brethren, though a man say have faith and have not works, can faith save him? If a brother or sister be naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you say unto them, Depart in peace, be ye warmed and filled, notwithstanding ye give them not those things which are needful to the body, what does it, what does it profit? Even so faith, if it hath not works, is dead, being alone. Yea, a man may say, Thou hast faith, and I have works. Show me thy faith without thy works, and I will show thee my faith by my works." Thou believest that there is one God, that us well, the devils also believe, and they tremble. Isn't that awesome? They know the power of Almighty God. They realize and identify that He reigns. And it says that even the devil trembles. Verse 20. But wilt thou know, O vain man, that faith without works is dead? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he had offered Isaac his son upon the altar? Seest thou how faith wrought with his works, and by works was faith made perfect? The scripture was fulfilled which said, Abraham believed God, and it was imputed unto him for righteousness. And he was called the friend of God. You see then how that by works a man is justified, and not by faith alone. Likewise, was not Rahab the harlot justified by works when she had received the messengers and had sent them out another way? For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. In other words, you say you have a root in Jesus. Good. Show me you have a root by showing some fruit. In Matthew 21, we're told that early in the morning as Jesus was on his way back to the city, he was hungry. Seeing a fig tree by the road, he went up to it, but found nothing on it except leaves. Then he said to it, may you never bear fruit again. And immediately the tree withered. Matthew 21. I love that because oftentimes when Jesus was speaking of the, the nation of Israel, he was speaking of the fig tree. What did they do? What didn't they do? And he didn't see anything from them. But he's always teaching and showing his disciples that immediately there was nothing that came from that. My question is this. Were they rooted in God? 
was the nation of Israel. They wandered around for year after year after year after year after year, and they weren't rooted. They were not grounded. They weren't rooted in God. We wander. We sin because we're not grounded and rooted in Him. In the Gospel of Luke, we have Jesus telling another parable. A man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he went to look for fruit on it, but did not find any. So he said to the man who took care of the vineyard, for three years now I've been coming to look for fruit on this fig tree and haven't found any. Cut it down. Why should it use up the soil? Sir, the man replied, leave it alone for one more year and I'll dig around it and I'll fertilize it. If it bears fruit next year, fine. If not, then I'll cut it down. Luke chapter 13, verses 6 through 9. I, I think that's amazing. We cannot see growth if you're not in His Word. Teenager, you will never see God if you're not in His Word. Adults, you will never experience the fullness of God unless you're in His Word. We have to come together to be encouraged, to be edified. Can I ask you something? How many of you have left here thought, oh, Lord, you beat me up today? We've been there, right? Sitting on the couch, click, 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 mowing the lawn. I'm not convicted. I mean, am I really even thinking of God? I'm watching this series on The Walking Dead. That is like crazy. Somebody said, you've got to watch this. So we've been watching some of these series on these zombie people. How many of you watch that? Go ahead and confess it. Okay, I watched some of it. It's, it's crazy, really. Yeah, make me, for the time, makes me wet the bed. Does me too. But anyhow, all right, you're throwing me off. And so, but we have, to do, we have to do one thing, and here's what it is. In order to see growth, it has to be rooted, and you have to make sure it's getting fertilizer, right? In order for it to grow. So you plant a seed, you go and fertilize it, and you start to see growth. So where are you going with this, Pastor? I'm, I'm leading right up to it. The fig tree had no figs. It was bearing no fruit. Without that fruit, it was worthless. It was worthless because it wasn't fulfilling the reason it had been planted to begin with. We are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do what? For what? His good works. We were created for Him. Where were, I wasn't created for myself. And the more I'm convicted over that, I think, man, we should be just like gangbusters. We should be like a bunch of sheep grazing out in a field, just eating and, and making a difference, an impact upon our communities in our workplace, no matter where we're at, in our families. People need Jesus Christ. And you know that there are some that even today that are at home and you just wish they would come and hear God's Word. We are His workmanship created for Him for good works. The fig tree was planted to bear good fruit. We were saved to bear good fruit. That's why Hebrews tells us that we shouldn't skip church. Uh oh, here we go. Brother Steve, is he not in here? Okay, I wanted him to hear this. 
He just made comment about it in discipleship class this morning. I love what it says in Hebrews chapter 10. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering. For he is faithful that promised. Verse 24. And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to do what? Good works. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another. And so much the more as you see the day approaching. Colossians chapter 3 verses 14 through 16. You are called in one body. So be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. And I love this. Admonishing one another in psalms and hymns, in spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. One of the major reasons we should commit ourselves to meeting with each other so we can help each other fulfill our purpose in Christ. So we can spur one another towards love and good works. But you see, we're not doing this or we're not doing these good works in order to be saved. It's not the good works that gives us life eternal. It isn't the fruit that saves us. It's the root that saves us. So Jesus Christ is the root. And I love what Isaiah says. The prophet said this as he was speaking of the coming Messiah. He said this in Isaiah 53 two. He says, For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of dry ground. Do we find life in Jesus Christ? For he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So we find it from that root system. Colossians chapter 2 verse 7 says, Let your roots grow down into him and let your lives be built on him. Then your faith will grow strong in the truth you were taught and you will overflow with thankfulness. So why then should I do good works? There are a lot of well-meaning Christians who mistakenly do good works out of fear. They're afraid they won't do enough to please God. They visualize God holding some kind of tally sheet and keeps track of their good deeds and their bad ones. And if the good deeds don't outweigh the bad, they go to hell. They do what they do out of fear. But now, notice why the sheep did what they did in Jesus' story in Matthew 25. Listen closely. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed of my Father, take your inheritance. The kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? The king will reply, I tell you the truth, whatever you did for one of the least of these, my brothers, you did for me. The righteous people didn't bear their good fruit in order to be saved. They bore their good fruit because they loved Jesus. They bore fruit because they loved the root system. They bore good fruit because they belonged to the root. 
It was Jesus Christ. And it wasn't their fruit that saved them. It was their root. It was Jesus that saved them. God doesn't grade us on how many good works we do. He just, he's just looking to see if we're doing something for him. I'm walking through Chicago, and, and this is not an exaggeration. We're going to consider this area probably, I don't know what is considered a block, a quarter of a mile. I'm not sure what a block is considered. But I will say this, that on every block, we're on North LaSalle, and by the time you get to Michigan Avenue, I know I must have passed 12 homeless people. And as I'm walking from Moody Bible Institute, and I was walking in that direction, and I would see this man just laying there, covered up. It is 3 o'clock in the afternoon, and he's covered up with a cardboard box, and he's sleeping. He's not even begging for anything. And then I go the next 25 feet, and I have some lady coming up saying, Sir, can I just have some change? I haven't eaten today. Well, I purposed in my heart, okay, I'm going to go ahead and every time I reach in and start to, to grab change and give to them. And then I determined the next day when I was walking that I would do the same thing. And it's so sad because by, I got, by the time I got to my destination, I had passed probably 10 homeless people. And what was sad for me was this. As I was passing them, my mind reflected upon so many that have hurts, hang-ups, habits, sin. I don't know. There's mental illness. There's so many reasons and components why they don't, they're, they're in the situation they're in. Some have put themselves there. Others didn't. But I found myself, Chip's talking, and I'm walking, and I would walk by and lay my hand out like this and say, Lord, bless them. Be with them. Because my heart is like, wow, that could be me. Can I, can I offer him a cheeseburger? Sure. Can I say, here's some food? We get back. We go down to Michigan Avenue. We get back, and this man, and he's right on our tail. Sir, 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 sir. And he had this, you know, newspaper thing, and he's like, you know, I'll give you a paper if you'll give me some money. Now, realizing just the capacity of Chicago and how many people there, and I don't know the, what the ratio is, but I have been down to Jesus Said Ministries, and I see how many people that are hungry here in Akron, Ohio, that need food and that need love and need care. But the, the thought kept coming to me, as you've done it unto the least of these, my brethren, you've done it unto me. So I reached in my pocket, and Chip goes, are you going to give him dollar bills? I said, yes, I'm giving him dollar bills. And I paid him for the newspaper. He wasn't begging. We exchanged the paper. At least felt like he was working for something. But as I walked away, and this is just what I always say, bless him, Lord. And I don't say that in a joking manner. Lord, bless this man. 9.30 at night. Walking up, Chip and I decided just to talk and walk about some, and speak about some of the messages. And so it's 930 and we're taking this big, long trip. We went over the river. And as we went up and around the river, we came to this lady. Sir, can I please have some money? Can I please have some money? And right at that moment, my thought was this. What if that was my wife? What if that was 
my sister? What about if that's my daughter? And really, and, and I understand at 9 o'clock at night, I'm sure there was 5,000 people the pastor, somebody gave her a buck, and she says, I haven't eaten today. Well, maybe she didn't eat because she used that money for her addiction. But I've got to tell you that if we don't start seeing people as Christ seemed, I know that my good works isn't going to get me to heaven. But God expects us to make a difference and an impact. So we reached in our pocket, and Chip says, I've got this one. And he gave her some money. It's almost to the point where you feel like everything you do, you've got to grab some $1 bills when you walk around Chicago just to bless people. How many have ever thought, was that an angel that I just ministered to? And God just tested you. I understand who we see all over Akron, Ohio. I see the same guys. I know their story. Matter of fact, I've talked to a couple of them. And and most of you know Ken, who we took in here and, and helped out, who was homeless and so on and so forth. But I have to tell you that even when I see some of them, I know this is their career. They have a somewhat of a stronghold. In their life. But I don't recall when I looked in scripture. That it said anything. Uh, Grab a resume from them. And look at their background before you hand them a quarter. God wants us to make a difference. This morning Todd came in. He goes preacher. I got your shirt. And I love this because it says. Jesus said. And I'm so I'm so glad to wear this thing. I'm going to wear it when we go up there. I'm really excited to go serve. On the back it says, Dear Lord Jesus, I love you. Please forgive me of all my sins and come into my heart. I repent and turn from my wicked ways. Help me, Jesus, to trust in you as my Lord and Savior. But on this sleeve, I love what it says. It caught my attention. Go and make disciples. Isn't that awesome? Are we rooted in Jesus Christ? When I think of Jesus said ministries, it really... Put some light on what our responsibility is. We're not saved because of our fruit. We're saved because we're attached to the root. And how do you get to attached to this root? One, you need to believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of the living God. Two, you need to believe you are a sinner, and then you need to repent. Three, you need to confess Him as your Lord to make Him the owner and ruler of your life. Four, You need to be buried in the waters of baptism and raised up in a new creation, a new creature in him. And five, then you need to live for him. I'm going to I'm going to stop. I didn't I have a bunch of scripture verses, but for lack of time, I'm not going to go there. But I love Romans chapter two. It says for those who by perseverance and doing good seek for the glory and honor and immortality, eternal life, period. But glory and honor and peace to everyone who does good. As I close today, I'm going to read a story to you. And it's really a story of grace. And I could say as I looked into this, and Brother Phil was the one who asked me about three months ago, you know the story between the goats and the sheep? And so I thought I would incorporate that today to say, He judges us by our righteousness and unrighteousness. But it isn't by our good works that we're going to get to heaven. It's by the grace of of Almighty God. It says, for by grace are you saved. So when we look at the scripture, we're not saved by good works. We're saved to do good works. So what have we done? Listen closely. 
There was a man by the name of Paul Leonard. Told a story paying his wife, paying his way, I'm sorry, through Ohio State University back during the Depression. His father had died, he said, during my senior year in high school, and his mother had become blind. He wrote, By night I was a taxi driver, and during the lunch and dinner hours I waited tables in a campus dining hall. I made enough money to pay my expenses, but I had to always pinch pennies. At lunch one day I was serving a table where faculty members were seated. As I returned to the table with my tray held high, the unthinkable happened. I slipped on a spot of gravy on the floor and watched helplessly as the plate slid off the tray, spilling onto an especially well-dressed man, one of my professors. He said, my heart sank. What could I do to atone? I grabbed a towel to clean up the food, but I only spread the mess over more of my professor's suit. He locked his eyes on me and asked, Mr. Leonard, what are you going to do about this? I'm sorry, sir. I'll pay to have your suit cleaned. I responded. I don't believe this suit can be dry cleaned. Do you? My professor countered. It was badly stained. I could tell that. And who was I to question his judgment? He had every right to be irritated. Whatever it takes, sir, I answered. Later that afternoon in his class, I heard the dreaded words. Paul Leonard, I'd like to speak to you for a moment. After everyone else had left, he had simply said, Mr. Leonard, I believe it is only fair that you buy me a new suit. Yes, sir, I managed to say. I agreed to meet him at a downtown Columbus men's store for the following, the following day. I recognized the name of the store, an exclusive men's clothier specializing in custom-tailored suits. I also knew that I could cover the expenses only if I were able to make payments over several months of working and scrimping together my change and my tip money. Oh, there you are, the ever-proper professor remarked. He had arrived early. He already chosen the fabric, and the tailor had already taken measurements. My professor, a regular customer, had apparently vouched for my trustworthiness because the clerk nonchalantly accepted the professor's remark. Mr. Leonard will be responsible for the bill, as I have indicated. More than a little disoriented, I turned to follow my professor out the door, and then he stopped. Are you sure you want to do this? He asked. Yes, sir, I responded. It will take time, of course, but I... And the professor interrupted. He interrupted me with words directed to the clerk. Let's see that Mr. Leonard is fitted for a suit just like mine and put them both on my bill. Isn't that amazing? Paul Leonard didn't deserve that suit. He had the money for it, and he had done nothing to deserve it. In fact, by all rights, he would have ordinarily walked away from that clothing store a much poorer man. But because of the mercy of his professor, he received a gift. A far greater gift than he would have ever been to obtain on his own. But now, what if Leonard had picked up his suit and never wore it? Or if he did wear it, he used it to work out in the yard or change the oil in his car. 
By his actions, he would prove to his professor the gift meant nothing to him and that the price for the suit was no consideration to him. What he would do with that gift would reflect how much he loved and appreciated the kindness of that professor. And in the same way, the way that we treat the free gift of our salvation will reflect how much we love and appreciate the mercy of our Father. It wasn't Leonard's appreciation that bought him that suit. It was the mercy and grace of someone else who paid the price. And in the same, it isn't the fruit that saves us, it's the root that saves us. It's the blood of Jesus that was shed for us on Calvary. When you think of a seed, you think of a plant, of a flower. When you hear the word rooted, you usually think of a tree. When you plant a tree, it is easy to pull it out of the ground after the first few days. But it would be nearly impossible to pull the tree out once it is properly rooted. Reminds me of our Christian lives. I've seen people come to New Hope. And it grieves my spirit when I think that they're not properly rooted. You heard me say in the beginning and throughout the message, it is for by grace that we're saved through faith. It has nothing to do with us. It's not by works. It's not by our boasting. It's not how we score keep. It's only by the grace of Almighty God. And when I reflect upon our relationship with Him, I think of our life. Are we rooted? Are we grounded in Jesus Christ? Isaiah 11.5 says, Then a shoot will spring up from the stem of Jesse, and a branch from his roots will bear fruit. I look at people's lives, and that's what the church is about. Don't get angry with me if sin is brought out in your life. You and God need to meet one another and make it right. Only you and God can cleanse your life from being on this journey where you're at. I only want to see people be rooted in the Word of God. I only want to see a church that is firm, knowing who Jesus Christ is. When I decided to speak this message, I needed prayer. So I texted my wife and said, please pray for me. Because we're so mixed up with works and grace. We're all mixed up with our faith and our works. But what we must realize is that if you are not planting seed, seeing souls saved and lives changed, then what is your purpose? I come to you today and I ask you this question, this important question. If you were to be rooted in Jesus Christ and you realize that there's a storm raging around you 
And it only takes one sip to the wind. One swift blow. And you're uprooted out of the ground. And you fall over dead. What is it that you could change in your life that would give you the depth and the foundation that only you can gain in Jesus Christ? I made a commitment to God. And I'll close with this, and this thought wasn't even there. I heard Chrissy speak from Chicago Tabernacle, and I've been moved by it. I've spent some time alone. And when I heard that song today, I want to dance, I want to shout, I want to sing. I have to tell you that I don't want a church of pretty people. I don't want a church where, yes, everything is fancy. And I know I have a responsibility to God. And I am taking it serious. But when I heard Chrissy make this one comment, I haven't forgotten it. Chip came back to the room and we spoke till 2.30 in the morning. I came home so tired last weekend, I was whipped. It took me three days to really catch up on my sleep. Here's what she said. We're a praying church. And before I came out here today, we prayed in the back. I'm going to ask you this. Are you a praying Christian? Are you rooted in Him? Do you know you can go to Him? Chip looked at me. And that was that night when we decided to walk. And then we got back and we stayed up till 2.30. We kept talking about it. That's what... Two people, three people, four people do it. causes that accountability. Can you hit the air, Luke? I'm going to tell you this. I, more than anything, I don't need a church full of a bunch of people. I need a church full of praying people. I was called to do this, and we're only where we're at today because of God. Because we've prayed. If we're not a church that's a praying church, and we're not a church that's rooted, we'll never see people saved. You know, there was a time when, I mean, one Sunday, the weekend my dad died, I baptized 29 people back there that had gotten saved. Have we already said we've exhausted everybody? Have we already told everybody, everybody knows about Jesus? I know it's quarter after 12, and we're, com- we're concluding. But I made up my mind today, I'm not letting that time I'm going to say what I have to say because God wanted me to share this with you today. But can we just put aside our flesh and allow the Spirit of God to take residence and precedence over our lives? I want pure daughters. I have teenage daughters. I have holy young people that I want to continue to see stay holier and holier and holier and holier. But they can't do that without you. Church, we need somebody to teach the children's ministry on Sunday morning. We need help. Quit acting like it's somebody else's responsibility. And if you think it is somebody else's responsibility, help me out and come to the altar and pray for someone to help. Because I can't do everything. You can't do everything. But God can. I just want a church that's a praying, believing, separated church.
Will you come to him today? The altar calls for you. If you've never been rooted in him and you've never accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, I keep saying that every week because it's about the gospel of Jesus Christ. Do you know today, it's not about works we get to heaven. It's by his grace. When we leave here today, let's be encouraged to share with one person Jesus Christ. Let us all stand as we pray. Father, we come to you and we just praise you and we thank you, Lord, for your word. We thank you, Father, for, Lord, realizing that you are the root. Lord, if we could just draw strength and depth from you. Lord, it's not by works that we're saved. It's by your grace. Lord, I just pray that you'll encourage all of us to be a praying church. That we'll be a church that, Father, when you know there's a need, that people are on their knees praying, knowing that they can come to a place where God is real and He's going to answer prayer. God, help us to be rooted in You. Help us to be the type of Christian that, Lord, we're not just running in the building and running back out of the building because we have other responsibilities, but, God, that we can live out our Christian privileges and responsibility. Lord, I'm glad I'm Your child. Lord, I want You to know my voice, hear my voice. I want you to give me opportunity to minister. Lord, we talk about paying it forward or doing acts of random kindness. But God, you even said in your word, as you've done it unto the least of these, even Jesus said, you've done it unto me. Lord, help us to realize that every person, every opportunity is one that you've allowed to happen in our life. God, help us to exhibit to be who you want us to be. Lord Jesus, we come to you. There's somebody here that don't know you as Lord and Savior. May they come to know you today. May they come forward and let me pray with them. There's somebody here that needs baptized. Lord, I just pray that they'll come forward and open up the baptism waters, Lord, if they need membership. Lord, if they want to find a place and feel a sense of family, of home, of service for you. Lord, help us to always be mindful of who you are and who we are. We ask this in your name. Amen.